If you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis 28. I'm going to talk to you today about what makes a house of God. What makes a place a house of God? We're celebrating this house in its 25th year. What makes a place a house of God? Every place you drive by is not the house of God. We know that in fact in the new covenant we identify the true house of God as the inhabited heart of a believer. Right? We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. The temple of the spirit of the living God. He lives in us. So that's our primary focus that the people of God are the house of God. However, let's not forget that the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter, Peter chapter 1 said about Jesus in the, in the transfiguration. He's retelling that story. And he says, and we were with him in the holy mountain. So 30, 40 years after the fact, when Peter writes his second, second epistle, he still calls that mountain holy. What made that mountain holy? Because of the experience he had with God on that mountain. See, what makes a place holy, a building holy, is, is that it's a place where the people of God have agreed to meet together and where they have encounters with the living God that changes their lives. Now today, you're going to hear some things. You're going to experience some things. And you might not appreciate all that you hear. You might not understand all that you hear. But somewhere in your life down the road, this is going to apply. It's going to be more meaningful to you. Some of you are going to get it right now and say, oh, that changed my life forever. Others are going to say, I wish that guy had learned to preach. <laughs> others are going to say, <laughs> I'm just going to, others are just going to say, I'm going to put that on a shelf. Maybe it'll have relevance later. Well, it will. I, I'm certain it will. It'll either, it'll either impact you now or it'll impact you later. I heard a story about an old Pentecostal woman who was dying. She was getting old, let's say having a hard time sleeping. The doctor told her, said, well, what you need to do is take a little whiskey with your milk at night. She said, I do love milk, but I'm not going to drink the whiskey. I'm a Pentecostal. I don't drink whiskey. Now, I picked on the Pentecostals because that's where I was raised, okay? <laughs> if you want to pick on your background, that's fine, but don't be picking on my Pentecostals. <laughs> she said, I'm a Pentecostal, so I... Uh, I don't drink whiskey. So her son went over to the doctor and said, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it, doc. So he'd milk the cow and he'd put a little whiskey in her milk. Time went by and she got ready to die. She was, she was very old and she was nearly dying. She called all her family in around the bed. She said, I got a few things, important things I need to say to you. She said, number one, stay in church. Number two, read your Bible. And number three, whatever you do, don't sell that cow. <laughs> so somewhere, so, somewhere down the road, it's gonna, this is going to help you. It's going to have relevance for you. Amen. Be glad you didn't sell this cow. Genesis chapter 28 and verse 10. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. 
He dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob arose up early in the... Is it all right if we read a significant piece of the Bible in church on Sunday morning? And Jacob arose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon it, upon the top of it. Now in Oklahoma, it's difficult to distinguish those two words, pillow and pillar. But <laughs> they kind of use just one pronunciation for both things. <laughs> but did you notice he took something that was meant for his comfort and made it something that was meant for his sacrifice? That's what your giving is really all about. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Verse 19, and he called the name of that place Bethel. And, in, and the name of that city was uh, previously called Luz. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall, shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Father, thank you for this, op this reading of the word and this opportunity to speak concerning this word. Bless your people to receive revelation today. I thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ as the Apostle Paul prayed for us that we would have the spirit of understanding, a spirit of revelation. And I pray that for your people today. I believe they will hear what I can't even say, that the Holy Ghost will make this, speci this message special for each and every heart individually. Today we give you praise in Jesus' matchless name. Amen and amen. I want to say four primary things to you today. I want to say that what makes a, a house the house of God, what makes a place the house of God? It's a place where people can dream dreams, number one. Number two, it's where people receive the promises of God. Number three, it's where people awaken to the reality of God. And number four, it is a place where people make commitments. You want them again? Number one, it's a place where people can dream dreams. It's a place where people receive the promises of God. It's where people awaken to the reality of God. And it's a place where people make commitments. Verse 12, it says, And Jacob dreamed a dream. I don't know about you, but when I'm sitting under the anointed teaching of a man like Bert Wembley, I, I start having dreams. I'm not talking about how some of you do. You just go to sleep. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that I start, I start getting these, 
these awake dreams, these visions, if you will. I start dreaming about what life can be like. When you have a visionary preacher, you have a visionary pastor, you have a visionary leader, they're going to make you think things, think thoughts you never thought before. Make you get your dreamer out there. Start thinking big, dreaming big, believing big. That's what the house of God ought to be like. That's what this house is like. It's a place where people can dream dreams and how their dreams become a reality by walking them out by faith. It's supposed to be that. You're supposed to be half starry-eyed when you leave church. You know, yeah, you want, your, you want your feet on the ground, but you want your heart in heaven, hallelujah. They said, that guy's so earthly, so heavenly-minded, he's no earthly good. May I remind you that it's always been the heavenly-minded people that have done this earth any good. Earthly-minded people do this earth no good. It becomes man-centered, humanism takes over. But it's heavenly-minded people. People full of the love of God. People full of the joy of the Lord. People full of faith. These are the people that are impacting the earth. Our forefathers in, in America knew this. They, were, they began to see themselves as free men instead of under the bondage of a tyrant named King George III. And on, can I, let me just ask this question. I've asked this question here before, but I, I haven't been here in a while, so let me ask this question. Does anyone in the room know when the Revolutionary War ended? The most important war this nation ever fought. Does anyone know? Some of you have heard me say it, and you, you still don't remember, do you? It ended on October the 19th, 1781, when a fellow by the name of Cornwallis, the great general of, of, of King George III, he surrendered to George Washington in Yorktown, Virginia. October the 19th, 1781. Why does that date not stand out in our minds? Our teachers didn't teach us about that date. Miss Andrew, you're a school teacher. It's partly your fault, I guess. <laughs> Public education, there you go. The most important war we ever fought, and we don't know. My son, my grand, my, let me say my son-in-law, is a history major, holds a degree with a major in history, was going to teach high school history. I asked him this question. He didn't have a clue. He said, well, they signed the Treaty of Paris. John Adams, he was telling me all about the Treaty of Paris. John Adams got together, you know, with, with others, and they went, to, they went to Paris and met with the, 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 the diplomats from England, and they, they sat down hammered out the details, and by, by early 83, they had signed the, the Treaty of Paris. That's when it was. I said, I didn't ask you when they signed the Treaty of Paris. I asked you when the war ended. He said, well, I don't know. Why don't you know? You know why he doesn't know? Because our forefathers, for all the way back, didn't want us to remember the day our oppressor said we could be free. They didn't, even want, they didn't want us to think about when the oppressor said we were free. They wanted us to remember another date. What date do you all know about the revolution? July 4, 1776, five years earlier. July 4th, every second grader knows about July 4th. They even know the year, 1776. Because every July 4th, we just had it. I mean, we had parades in the streets, you know, we had the cheerleaders and the, and the horses and we had the fireworks at night and hot dogs down at the lake. I mean, we did, we did the whole nine yards. I mean, we, we just showed off like a bunch of lunatics, get out there and do it every year the same way because we're so happy. We, we're celebrating July 4th, 70. We're free. We're free. Hey, we're free. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Were we really free, free that day? It depends on how you look at it. 
Our forefathers wanted us to remember, remember that day. King George doesn't celebrate that day because, and England didn't celebrate that day because they didn't consider us free. They just considered us lunatic rebels. They came over here to squash us, to stop us from being free. We had a five-year war with them. No possible way to beat them, but we did. <laughs> Somehow, there was a God in heaven watching out for this bunch of ragtag farmers over here who could shoot the eye out of a squirrel, squirrel at 200 yards. I mean, <laughs> Somehow they won. Why? Because they were not free on the basis of their oppressor saying they were free. On July the 4th, five years before, they realized they had made up their own minds and signed something called a declaration, the Declaration of Independence, declaring their own independence. You're not going to be free because the devil quits messing with you. You're going to be free on the day you make up your own mind and confess your freedom in Jesus' name. That if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be delivered then. You don't get delivered because all your trouble goes away. My goodness. You get delivered because you get free because you say so. Hallelujah. By that reference is Romans 10, 9, and 10. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. See, when you have a dream, it drives your mouth you have a dream, when you get a vision, you see something in the spirit, you start talking about that. This building didn't just pop up one day. People didn't just start coming out here and just start building things. No, I heard a man years ago standing there in the pulpit and start talking about the building we're going to build on top of that mountain out there. We were way down there in the valley. But he kept talking about the top of that mountain. Talking it, talking it, talking it, talking it. Pretty soon, here came a building rising up out of the ground. It has to happen with what you say. It, everything starts with what you say. It's like everything that's going to be created is going to be created with words. Let me see, have we heard this before? Let's see. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was void and without form and the Lord said let there be light and when he spoke light the light broke everything that happened everything that's here everything that you're standing on everything you're wearing everything that you breathe came out of the words of God glory to God think of it if this is God's way you have to remember that you have to remember that the first use of words was not for communication. That's about all we use words for is communication. But the first use of words was for creation. I think you need to flip a switch somewhere in your heart today and say, I'm going to start using my words for creation more instead of just for communication. I'm going to use my words to create my dreams. I'm going to use my words to create my dreams. I'm going to stop saying, well, I always get that hay fever. This, this, I just hate the month of May. It just makes my nose run so bad, that, that, that mountain cedar. I know how you talk. I've been out here a long time. <laughs> I just hate that mountain cedar. You've got to stop talking about that stuff. Start talking about what you want. 
What if the Lord had stepped out on the balcony of glory and looked around and it's all dark and said, Phew, sure is dark out there, ain't it? Don't you just wish somebody would do something about that darkness? I just hate darkness. Darkness everywhere. Far as the eye can see, like James Weldon Johnson said it. And God stepped out on space and looked around and said, I'm lonely. I'll build me a world. Darkness covered everything, blacker than a hundred midnights down in a cypress swamp. No, he didn't, God didn't talk like that. He didn't talk about how dark it was. He talked about what he wanted. See, a house of God is for people to dream big dreams. Think big, dream big, and talk about it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. One of the astronauts, I don't remember which one. Might have been Gus Grissom, but it's one of them. Wasn't Gus Grissom, I don't think, is one of them that actually went to the moon. He, when he was a little boy, before anybody had ever even talked about going to the moon, he told his mama, his, she, she tucked him into bed, and she went in there afterwards, and he wasn't, he wasn't asleep yet. He laying there with his eyes open, looking out of his bedroom window, looking at the moon. And his mama said, son, you need to get to sleep. What are you doing? He said, I'm just looking at the moon. Mama, one day I'm going to walk on that moon. Thirty years later, he walked on the moon. Craziest thing ever. She thought, oh, this kid has just lost his mind. <laughs> Somebody has to start talking it. Yeah. Talking your dreams. Yeah. Dream the dream. Think big. You say, well, I just hope I can pay my school bill. and You know, and you got to think bigger than that. Mm-hmm. you got to think about becoming the chancellor of the school. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I always wanted to teach at Christ for the Nations. Well, now I hire and fire the teachers at Christ for the Nations. (laughs) Amen. Amen. It's a place where people can dream dreams. God did not bring you to gates of the city, church, for your dreams to die. He brought you here so your dreams could come true. This is the kind of place where your dreams come true. I'm thinking about what the Apostle Peter said in Acts chapter 2. He said, this is that. He said there, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. After they were filled with the Holy Spirit, everybody was speaking in tongues. And he said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. This is that which was spoken by the prophet. Well, Joel had had a dream. The prophets all, see, they would see these things in the spirit. They'd see these things in the spirit. They weren't necessarily asleep. They'd see these visions and these dreams. And, they, and they'd, they'd tell about what, they, what they're seeing. Seeing big things. And the apostle Peter said, this is that. I believe that this is your moment. This 25-year celebration is your time to say this is that. To to get beyond just having the dreams and saying, I have what I have seen. I have what I have dreamed. I believe it is mine, glory to God. The apostle Peter had the audacity to stand up on that day and say, this is that. Let me say to you, you don't need another visitation from God. He lives inside you. What you need is a manifestation of the Spirit through your life so that you can say, there is a God in the earth and he lives on the inside of me. And I'm part of a community of faith that when we come together, the explosions 
of the Spirit take place and awesome power breaks out and people begin to dream big dreams and they get big things going on in their hearts so that the whole world knows that there is a God in the earth and things begin to change in society. Culture begins to, to, begins to veer off from its, its deadly waterfall with calamity because of what you dreamed in church. This is that. This is that which is prophesied by the prophet Joel. This is that. I don't pray for visitations. Some do, and it's all right. It's all right with me. I kind of think it's a waste of time. I don't think it's an insult from God, but I do think uh, an insult to God, but I kind of think the Lord thinks, what's wrong with the one you have? Asking God for a visitation is sort of like me inviting Miss Ann to her house. She's going to think I've lost my mind. It just doesn't, well, why would you do that? When your faith is engaged and you, 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 you're dreaming the right dreams, you're dreaming about the God that's in you doing big things, not the God that is in heaven coming to see you. See, that's the Old Testament dreamer's dream. But this is that. This is that. Secondly, it's where people receive the promises of God. Verses 13, 14, 15, God just starts talking about all he's going to give to Jacob. I'm going to give you this, I'm going to give you that, give you that, do this, do that. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your socks off. I'm going to help you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Just start, God just starts talking about what he wants to do for you. When you're in church, at the house of God, what makes people realize they're in the house of God is they hear the promises of God. That's why this preacher's preaching is full of the promises of God, all the things that God promises. That's why every time I come here, I talk to you about the promises of God. I rarely ever talk to you about sin. I rarely, and I know, you, I know most of you from a German heritage, I could talk about sin. But, sorry, Miss Ann, just kidding, really. We could talk about sin, but any culture has their own issues with, with that. That's not, not my role. I'm not saying it never should be mentioned. My role is to bring you the promises of God and get you so focused on them. When you get focused on what God wants for you and what God will give you, you won't have time to be messing with the, with the sins of the flesh. You get your heart and mind full of the promises of God, you will lay down everything and pursue the word of God, pursue the will of God, and go after the promises of God like nothing and let nothing hold you back. That's what will happen if you really get full of this. Everything that God promised is yours. All the promises of God in Christ Jesus are in him, are yes and in him, amen. Amen. To the glory of God the Father. This isn't for your glory, although you will be glorified. But when you receive the promises, this is how God receives glory. When you receive the promises, this is how God receives glory. You can look it up for yourself. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and verses 20, 21, 22, I think. Look it up for yourself sometime. It's amazing. When you receive the promises, God receives glory. Why? I've never, ever heard one Christian ever receive a promise from God and not say, Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. The most reserved ones do it. Thank you, Lord. Right, don't they? 
And they tell everybody, hey, rejoice with me. Uh, rejoice with me. Praise God. I got that letter in the mail. I needed that so much and the Lord made, made, made provision for me. They start talking it all the time. And every chance they get, they get somebody on the subway, somebody on the bus, somebody downtown. They stop and, hey, did you hear what happened to me? Every conversation turns to that, 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 that topic because they're giving glory to God. When you receive the promises, God receives glory. He wants that. He wants that. Now, here's how you get the promises enacted. Give Him the glory before you see it manifest. Now, He owes you. You paid the glory up front. This is better than you're shouting. You can, you, can, you can get God indebted to you. He'll be he'll owe no man anything. Just glorify him and thank him and worship him like you already got it. Yeah. Amen. 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 This is powerful. It's where people receive the promises of God. That's what makes it a house of God. You've heard so much about judgments through the years and God's wrath. and I was raised on that kind of preaching. <laughs> raised on that kind of preaching. R-A-Z-E-D on that kind of pre- preaching. <laughs> and uh, I've come to understand, and the Lord just gave me some revelation, that there are really only three universal judgments in the Bible. You know what I mean by universal? They touch everybody. There are only three. All those judgments in the book of Jeremiah, they're not about the whole world. Not one of them is about the whole world. All those judgments in Ezekiel, they're not about the whole world. They're about that nation, that king, that bunch over there, sometimes Israel, this this bad dude over here, and that one over there, and that city. and Just all these judgments on these various groups, but... I've heard preachers just take those and apply them all to America. Apply them all to my hometown. Ah, you're talking about this city right here. God is angry. He's going to get you. Yikes. (laughs) It just wasn't true. It's never been true. Never will be true. There are only three universal curses. Three universal judgments. The first one. And it, God didn't curse. He just said this, this is going to happen. And it came as a judgment. You know, in the garden when he said you, should, you can have all the trees, freely of all the trees, there's just one you can't eat of. That's not a judgment or a curse. It's just a word. And depending on your response to that word, it becomes a blessing or a curse. Who made it a curse, God or Adam? Yeah, Adam did it. But he said, if you eat that, you'll die. Your mother told you, if you eat that rat poison, it'll kill you. Now, if you had eaten that rat poison, would it be your mama's fault? Would she be the one who cursed you? No, it'd be the rat poison in your own choice, right? Nobody would say, my mother killed me with a curse. It's funny how preachers all say God cursed Adam and God made him die because he ate that fruit. No, the fruit made him die. It had rat poison in it. (laughs) It had something in it.
The second one was the flood of Noah. Second judgment on humankind is universal in nature. Romans 5 says we all die because of Adam's sin. We know what happened in the flood of Noah. You know, we're all more closely related than Adam. We all have a common ancestor in Noah as well. Now we're not 6,000 years from Adam we're from a common ancestor. We're just 4,000 years from a common ancestor named Noah. Wow. Second universal judgment. There's a third one. Came in Acts. Uh, came in Genesis chapter 11. All three of them in the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. Y'all know what the third one was? The judgment on the Tower of Babel. This hill country used to be full of people who spoke German, and you probably find a few old people who still do. Up in Oklahoma, they they speak Indian dialects. A friend of mine from Austin named Matthew Velos, young fireball of a Hispanic Mexican preacher. Boy, that boy can preach. He's an associate to my son, Brandon Holler, over in Austin. Matthew came up to see us one time. We were talking. He's got the great sense of humor. We all went out to eat, and he had to go to the bathroom, and the, the waitress took us to the back room of the, of the, whole, of the uh, cafe, restaurant, we're getting our seats. Matthew comes in kind of scratching his head and frowning. He says, man, the Mexicans here ain't very friendly. I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, I spoke to those people sitting over there at that table. He said, I spoke to them in Spanish, and they just stared at me. <laughs> I look over, and it's a table full of American Indians. I said, well, you idiot. They don't speak Spanish. <laughs> he said, well, they look like Mexicans. Maybe he's right. We all speak different languages because there was a thing called the Tower of Babel. How are we going to fix all this? Well, God fixes it in your first three steps of faith. Your first three steps of faith. Adam died. And when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that he was dead, buried, and resurrected... For you, you become a brand new creature. You get born all over again. You have an inner birth correcting what went wrong in the garden. And like Second Peter says, our water baptism does not save us. We sang a song about it today, a beautiful song about how water baptism says it. It does not say that that's how you're born again. It's just part of your salvation. It's, it's part of the salvation package to deliver you from the, this world. Cut yourself off from the world. Bury the old man. Bury the body of sins. And rise in newness of life. Glory to God. Hallelujah. What a wonderful thought. See, that answers. And, 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 and the apostle Peter said the same, that baptism is related to the, to the flood of Noah. It's God's answer to the flood, to that judgment. And it's interesting to note that on the day of Pentecost, people from every kindred, tribe, and language was there. And the Holy Spirit gave all the believers these languages to speak as prayer languages. When before language was a curse 
And now he's redeemed it and made it a blessing, the most intimate prayer you pray. So your first three steps of faith with God are to reverse the first three curses. The only three universal curses there are in the Bible. You get born again to reverse the curse of sin. You get water baptized to wash away that sin. And you get filled with the Holy Ghost to fill you up with a new prayer language. Holy Ghost and fire. Listen to me. When John the Baptist said, you should be, uh, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, I'm fully and thoroughly convinced that what he was talking about the fire was tongues, speaking in tongues. Here's why. Because on the day of Pentecost, it says, there appeared unto them cloven tongues as of fire and set upon each of them come on sandra help me do it with me <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah had his cloven tongues of fire on fire sitting on their heads and john had prophesied it'd be tongues of fire he said it'd be fire he'd be baptized with the holy ghost and fire and that there's a there's a fulfillment of it why do we wince at saying that the fire is speaking in tongues you want a lot of fire on the inside of you just speak in tongues more Amen. And if you don't yet speak in tongues, and I, everybody said, everybody noticed that I said yet, right? It's your inheritance. It's your right. It's not a you got to do. It's, it's a you get to do. It's your right as a believer to receive this infilling power and to speak in other tongues. It's a beautiful thing. And I'm telling you, it will stir a fire on the inside of you and make you altogether more powerful than you ever dreamed you could be. You'll be like the little kid who went to school the first day. And the teacher said, and what is your name, little boy? He said, my name is Superman. She said, oh, that's cute. And all the kids laughed. She said, no, not really. I need to know your real name. That is my real name. I'm Superman. And all the kids laughed. And she got down to his face. She said, now, that is real cute. But if you say you're Superman again when I ask you what your name is, I'm going to march you down to that principal's office. And we'll see how cute she thinks it is. Now, what is your name? He curled his finger and called her down close to him, whispered in her ear, my real name is Clark Kent. <laughs> Amen. Glory to God. It's where, it's where people receive the promises of God. Amen. The promises were, were three primary things. God said, God said, I'm going to give you possessions. I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to give you progeny, that is, he's going to make him very fruitful, and he's going to give him his presence. He says, God will be with you always. God will bless you personally, he'll make you fruitful, and God will be with you always. And may I say to you, everybody here ought to be thinking about having babies. If you're past the time when you want to have natural babies, you ought to be thinking about winning people to Jesus and training them up in the things of God. Everybody here ought to be having children in some form or fashion, some way. And if you're young enough to be still wanting to have babies, have a house full of babies. Have two housefuls of babies. Have all the babies you want. Don't believe that lying, that lying media out there that tells you the world is overpopulated. Hello. Hello. Seven billion people and more than half of them live in three nations. China, India, and Indonesia. More than half of them live in three nations. The world is overpopulated. Let me ask you to do something. Before you believe that lie, get in your car and just drive to El Paso and tell me how po populated you think the world is. That's just one little desolate piece. They say Montana's worse than that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> 
You're going to bless your kids, bless your progeny, bless you with his presence. The third thing is, it's a, it's a place where people awaken to the reality of God. It's so easy for us to get trapped in our traditions and go to church because that's what we do rather than going to church expecting some sort of encounter with the living God that we haven't had and that you really can't always have when you're by yourself. Oh, he lives in you, don't misunderstand. But he does preserve and reserve a special manifestation of his presence when the people of God come together collectively. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I will be in their midst. He was making a promise that staying in church has a powerful benefit that you can't get any other way. You ought to shout amen, you're here. There's a powerful benefit in going to church, just being with God's people. It, there's a cleansing and a washing that you just can't get. Why? Because the blood is what cleanses and the blood still flows through the body. His blood flows just the same place your blood flows. Amen. Praise God. Amen. It's a powerful thing. So, it's easy though because we, we get our rituals set up. You know? Get our rituals set up. And if change comes, I still don't like it that way. We have a grandson by the name of Maxwell Tate Miller. I know it sounds like a bull rider's name, but <laughs> hopefully he'll grow up and be something other than that. Not that there's anything wrong with being a bull rider, but. Huh? Dream big, praise God. I want him to own the rodeo company. I don't want him to. <laughs> Maxwell, three and a half years old. When he was just over two years old, I set up a little tradition with him. We've had ten grandkids counting him. And of all ten of them, I have never, never remember any of our grandchildren being in love with milk. Every baby loves milk, but this one, tsh, most babies drink milk to live. He lived to drink milk. <laughs> and then he found out it could even be made better with Nestle's chocolate squirted in it. <laughs> I mean, there just couldn't be anything better than this to him. He loved everything about it. And he would drink so much milk that he wouldn't eat. And his mother told me, he said, Dad, don't feed him milk. I said, it's what he wants. But don't give him milk. I said, but it's what he wants. See, I learned how to make babies stop crying. I go to couples all the time in restaurants and I walk over there, the baby's face, and I said, I know you as a parent don't know how to stop this. But I, and I, but I know how to make this stop. They said, what do you do? I said, give her what she wants. <laughs> this will end. Yeah, but we can't do that. She's been a brat. Give her what she wants. You're tormenting me. <laughs> Spank her at home, but be kind to her in public. <laughs> anyway, we, uh, I, I just, you know, love, love watching the kid go bananas over milk. He just, yeah, he'd clap his hands and jump up and down and, Get so excited, Max on some milk, yeah! So we got him, got him up in his chair, and I poured his milk, and and I realized he was getting a little bit older. Maybe he could help me put the chocolate in there. So I handed him the chocolate. I said, "Let's put the chocolate in there." Papa, I'll help you. I squirted the chocolate in there. He thought that was the coolest thing. Papa is, you know, now the fourth person, you know, the Godhead. He, 
I said, you want to stir it? You want to stir it? And he said, yeah. I clapped his hands. He took the spoon. I showed him how to stir it. And I worked. I said, now, if you'll watch it, it'll turn from white to brown. And he's watching, and it got browner and browner, and his eyes just got bigger and bigger. And he shouted out at Nana, Nana, turn brown, turn brown. Big deal to him. Put the, put the cup, you know, the lid on the sippy cup and handed it to him. Next time he came over, did the same thing. Next time he came over, did the same thing. We had us a little tradition set up, me and Max. Then one day I wasn't there, and his parents brought him over, and they were talking to Nana. And Nana said, Max, you want some milk? Yeah. So he gets in his seat. She's talking to his parents sitting over there at the breakfast nook, pours the milk, and just talking away, and squirts the chocolate in there and stirs it up, puts the lid on and hands it to him. Oh, Jesus. He started crying and grabbed that milk and just threw it in the floor. <laughs> of course, his dad, you know, got up and beat his pants off. <laughs> but I learned something powerful there. This child loves chocolate milk. But he loved his tradition more. It's not that we don't love God or love the actions of the Holy Ghost or love his words. It's not that we don't love. It's just that if you're not careful, you love your traditions about all that more. When pastor says we need to change this or change that, well, I don't know why we got to do that. I, just, I like it that way. And you let your traditions drive you from what really counts. Come on, tell two people he's talking to you. And the last thing I'm going to tell, tell you about is the house of God is a place where people make commitments. Hold on to your seat. Jacob made two powerful commitments. First of all, he said, I will worship no other God. And secondly, he said, I will tithe. You got two tithers in this church for sure. I think we can go forward with that. <laughs> Joshua and Caleb. I will worship no other gods, and I will tithe. See, this is not a law. There was no law during this time. It's just the response of a heart of faith. Oh, you're a legalist. You, you preach tithing. Yeah, I preach tithing because it's what the faith people have always done. They didn't just dream this up on their own. Their hearts told them this. That which faith brought to life on the inside of them caused them to want to partner with God. They recognized that they had been thieves in the beginning. You understand, when they stole that piece of fruit, they were stealing from God. They were robbing from God. They were robbing from God. And the Bible doesn't say that pornography is the root of all evil. The Bible doesn't say that, uh, that sexual immorality of other kinds is, is the root of all evil. The Bible doesn't, doesn't say that lying is the root of all evil. It doesn't say that, give me a sin. Honey, I know you know a bunch of them. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all of it. It's interesting that the very first sin was robbery, robbing God. Isn't it interesting that the very last sin mentioned in the Old Testament is robbing God? It's like he's been stuck in his craw all this time. 
They took what, from, what didn't belong to them and it came, they, they, they took from God. It didn't belong to them they and it was God's and they took it. And our faith people all along have said, wait a minute, wait a minute, I acknowledge God in the earth and when faith comes alive in your heart, you want to do something. So you give a tenth. It's what circumcision is about. And you can't circumcise that filthy money. They say most of our money has traces of cocaine in it. You don't know if you stopped at a convenience store, you don't know that a prostitute bought a cup of, cup of coffee at four o'clock in the morning with that money and brought that and paid it and then, you, then it wound up in your hand. You don't know where that money's been. How are you gonna clean it? Take it home and put it in the washing machine? No, you clean it up by circumcising it and giving a tenth. <sighs> Glory to God. Cut a tenth of it off. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus' name. And give it. Then it becomes covenantal. It becomes part of the covenant. Part of your covenant that you have with God. And then those words in God would trust really mean something then. They don't mean a thing if you're not tithing. He said, I will only worship God and I will tithe. Isn't it interesting that those are the two things he put together? Huh? Isn't it interesting that those are the two things I will, I will not, I, 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 will, I will have no other gods and I will tithe. Now having no other gods is the first commandment that came with Moses. But tithing isn't in the Ten Commandments. But isn't it interesting, in this man of faith, in this man of faith, he said, I'm going to only have one God and worship the one true God, and I'm going to tithe. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that those two things are put together? The loyalty to the one true God and the willingness to prove it that he trusts him with what he has. I was... Shocked one day when my pastor, Dr. James E. Hester, he was a Baptist guy that got filled with the Holy Ghost. Called himself for years a Bapticostal. <laughs> They're a pretty good kind of Christian, they really are. He uh, called me one day. After he got spirit filled, the, the Baptist Association of Texas kicked him out. But the, but the American Southern Baptists kept him in. So he could belong to the nationwide association, but he couldn't belong to the Texas association anymore because he spoke in other tongues. So the nationwide association recognized his ministry still. He even still paid dues, but they never asked him to the conventions. But he was a trained missionary and spoke fluent Italian. And so they sent him different. They sent him to Italy a few times, and one time they sent him to Hawaii. Now that's a mission trip I want to be sent to. God send me to Hawaii. I won't even pray about it. I'll just get on the plane. <laughs> I know that's God. That was God. The Lord told me without a doubt to go to Hawaii. Praise God. I prayed and fasted three weeks when he said India, but I, I just got on the plane to go to Hawaii. <laughs> Went to Hawaii. He said, I was walking through a mall there. And a lady over there at a kiosk out in front of Sears said, hey, you gentlemen, he's, he's walking with another guy. Hey, you gentlemen, could I interest you in, a, in, a, in an insurance policy with Sears? 
And my pastor said, no, I'm not interested in insurance policy. I said, well, why not, sir? This is this, 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 this. And she just talked to him as they're trying to walk by. My pastor, he's a real engaging kind of guy. So he stopped. He said, ma'am, I've, I've had insurance for years and this. I got this and got that and got that. So I, I'm really not interested. God bless you. Thank you. She said, but wait a minute, wait a minute, sir. Wait a minute. Would you just give me a minute to tell you about my real job? This is just one job I have to make a living, to make money. But my real job is telling people about Jesus Christ. He said, well, well, sure. She said, you know, you were born a sinner. You might not know you were born a sinner, but God had an answer. Even before Adam sinned and made us all sinners, God had an answer. And his answer was Jesus, that Jesus was going to die to take away our sins and be buried and rise again the third day. And if you'll just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be saved. You can know you're going to heaven. He said, hold it, ma'am. I've been born again for years. I love Jesus with all my heart. And she, looked, she just turned right from him and went to, how about you? <laughs> he was a Christian too, you know, Christian minister. They, kind of, they finally convinced her, down girl, we are saved. Praise God. It's good. She said, where are you from? He said, well, I'm from Texas. And he said she kind of got drifty-eyed, you know, and said, well, I used to live in Texas. In fact, that's where I got saved and spirit-filled. I sure miss my pastor. He was from Texas. And Jim said, well, who's your pastor? Where is he? She said, he's in San Angelo, Texas. And he said, she said, you probably don't know him. He said, I have a son in the faith in San Angelo, Texas. Try me. She said, his name is John Holler. And Pastor Jim said, Pastor John Holler is my son in the faith. She said, you know him? He said, yeah, I know him. You want me to call him right now? Got his phone number. She said, oh, I was so blessed. He calls me up and tells me this story. I said, I know who that is. That's Anna Tolentino. He said, yeah, her name was Anna. That's exactly right. I remember because her name sounded like Ann, you know. And he said, you're exactly right. So you do know her. I said, of course I know her. I led her to Jesus and laid my hands on her when she got filled with the Holy Ghost. He said, boy, I don't know what you're doing out there in San Angelo, but whatever it is, keep it up because they're, they're all over the world apparently trying to get the preacher saved. Amen. Amen. I will worship no other God. See, when, when, you, you, when your job is just a job, you know why you're on that job. It's really for your real job to worship God, to serve God, to live for God, to, to work for God, to, to get money so you can tithe and give and be, be used of the Lord. Now, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You're selling insurance for Sears. It doesn't make any difference. Who sells insurance for Sears? That's like... <laughs> but your real job is working for God, no matter where you are, what you're doing. That's what he said in verse 21. So that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Then in verse 22, And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth. So what we've said here today is that the world needs a house of God. But what makes the house of God is a place where people can dream dreams. It's where people receive the promises of God. It's where people awaken to the reality of God. And it's a place where people make commitments. I pronounce that the gates of the city is a house of God. You are the temples of the Lord. And this is a house of God.
a house where people can dream dreams, where people can receive the promises, where people awake to the reality of God. He woke up and said, ah, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And then they, he made commitments on behalf of that. You come here to make your commitments. I'm going to ask you to reaffirm your commitment to this house. Reaffirm your commitment to this house and say, I've dreamed a dream here that's changed my life. I've received the promises of God here that changed my life. I have awakened to the reality of God in this house. And so today, I reaffirm my commitment. If that's you, I want you to stand to your feet. You say, I'm reaffirming my commitment to this house today. Look at here. Look here, Pastor. All over this building, people are standing to reaffirm their commitment to this house. This house. This house. Let's lift our hands. Father, thank you. Thank you for these committed ones who've dreamed dreams, who've received promises, who've awakened to the reality of God. And now we're standing here together in Jesus' name, reaffirming our commitment to the house of God, to the Lord our God, that God will be our God. We will have no other gods. And this will be the place where we commit ourselves to tithe and to give offerings and to, and to live for you and to call you our God wherever we are and remember what our pastors have led us to. Thank you, Lord, for this moment. Thank you for these loved ones here. Thank you for these precious souls, these men, these women, these boys, these girls who are saying, I'm in. I'm in 100%. I'm in. One just back from boot camp, ready to, ready to go to battle for his nation. God would bless this boy today. Bless him today. Thank you for bringing him here for such a time as this to, to be one of those who reaffirms what it means to be committed, what it means to throw down your life for others. Thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for this moment. We bless you in Jesus' name. I bless this family. Bless this church. I speak the blessing of long life on everyone in this building. And the bless those the doctors have said, you will not live long. You're going to live long, I say in Jesus' name. The doctors have said that you don't have, you don't have time, but I say you do have time. You have time to dream that dream. You have time to be committed to it in Jesus' name. The judges have said it's over. It's not over you say it's over you don't fight on the basis of when your oppressor says you can be free you fight on the basis of when you say you're free glory to God glory to God come on shout out glory to God come glory on to God. glory to God give him some glory a little while go ahead and give him some glory thank you Lord thank you Lord